This morning we're going to continue and conclude our series on Romans chapter 12, our fourth of our series on looking at the marks of a true Christian from Romans 12. And if you look back and you remember, if you were here in attendance, we looked at the first question was, how's your boat? Being in the world, but not of the world, staying afloat because the water is supposed to be outside the boat, not inside. When water gets in a boat, it sinks. So how's your boat? The next sermon was, are you for real? said, let your love be genuine. Have a real love for other Christians that comes out of who you are in Christ. Not something that you have to, to work up. Last time I preached, we looked at how to fight your enemy with the love of God. And Romans 12 talks a lot about that. Well, today we're going to, again, look into our last and final sermon on this section. And we're looking at verses 9 through 9 and 11, those two verses. And I'm calling this the 911 of Romans 12. Because we're looking at verses 9 and 11. And I titled it this way, because if we don't follow the wisdom of these two verses, we will end up in a spiritual emergency. And we'll find out why when we go through them. And it will not be a quick process. These things tend to be slow, drawn-out problems that uh, can develop in our life if, if we don't heed these words. So let's get right into it. Romans chapter 12, and we'll read verse 9. Romans 12, verse 9. We already looked at the very first part of that a while ago, and that was let love be genuine. The next part of the verse is abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Now, if you've listened to me for any amount of time, you know that I like to look into the meanings of things. So I wanted to know what does abhor mean? I know it's not a very nice sounding word, but I don't really use that word in my vocabulary. There's not a whole lot in life that I abhor. It means to detest utterly, to utterly detest something. Well, what sort of things do you detest utterly? Utterly and totally detest it. And I was trying to think in my life of, of some natural example that I could give, and I couldn't come up with anything. There's some things I dislike. There's some foods that I don't like. There's some, some uh, other things that I don't like. The winter being one of them. Extreme heat being another. You know, you could, all, you could look at your life and you can, you can think of things that you don't like. But it's hard to say, I utterly detest that. I utterly detest this food. I utterly detest the winter. What sorts of things do we utterly detest though? Well, it is really what the verse says. What is evil? Those things should make us cringe and utterly detest evil in God's sight. Things like murder, kidnapping, sex trafficking, etc. You know, you can hear those words and go, yeah, I utterly detest that. And why? Because it is evil. Because it is wicked. Evil means hurtful in effect or influence, derelict, vicious, mischief, malice, and the list goes on. Not very nice things. Abhor what is hurtful in effect or influence to yourself, your relationship with God, to somebody else, and their relationship with God or their physical person, what is vicious, what is malice. And the reason that we abhor evil things, again, is because they are anti 
God. They are anti who God is. That's himself. You know, we know the story in the Old Testament with Moses and he's talking to God and he said, Lord, show me your glory. And a little later on, it says the Lord caused all of his, his what to pass before him? His goodness. See, God is 100% good and 0% evil. There is no evil in him. And so when we see evil or we come in contact with evil or we hear about it, we need to realize that that is against who God is. Not just that he doesn't like it, it's against who he is. He is not evil and it will never please him. And that is why the Bible tells us, abhor it. Find it utterly detestable. Now then the flip side of that, that's the negative, but on the positive it says, cleave to what is good. Cleave to what is good. That word cleave is an interesting word. It means to glue, to stick, and to keep company. Sometimes it takes glue to keep us close to what is good because we are easily bent toward evil. Our human hearts are easily bent toward what is wrong. And sometimes it takes that cleaving, that effort, that glue to be stuck. And it's something that you have to do. Notice the Bible in this verse It is a command on both levels. You abhor what is evil. You cleave to what is good. This is not effortless. This sometimes takes great effort. And in the the society that we're surrounded by, it's taking greater effort. The more evil that you are surrounded by, the more effort it takes to be good. I was just talking with somebody about that. They're like, you know, I'm surrounded by fairly good people. It doesn't take a lot of effort to be a Christian where I am. But sometimes God puts us in places where it takes great effort. And that's where this cleaving happens. You have to be like glue. And you know, with glue, sometimes, some types of glue, how many of you have used glue? Okay, probably almost everybody, besides the kids whose parents won't let them yet. Like glue, many glues, they become stronger the longer that they are there. If you've glued something, you may have experienced this. You glued it and you went to use it without reading the instructions thoroughly, and your glue didn't work. I've had this happen with the kids' project, sometimes because they're so excited they want it sooner than I want to give it to them, so sometimes I will give in, and then I end up re-gluing whatever it was that I glued for them, usually something that broke that had to be fixed. Many of those things that break are plastic. Many of the times you glue plastic, it's with epoxy, and epoxy even the quick set stuff becomes somewhat stronger if you let it sit overnight. Um, Birkenstocks too, I talked about that a few weeks ago, but they, they do need some help sometimes. And there's a special glue you can buy that put them back together. And they say, set it for a certain amount of time or put it together for five minutes and then hammer it. That specific glue, the impact of the glue actually bonds it together. Sometimes it takes impact in our life to be bonded to what is good. Good means things that benefit, that are good, or that go well. So to be glued to the good things that benefit us is to be glued to our things that help in our relationship with God, to abhor things that pull us away from God, and to be glued to the things that will help us in our relationship with God. So that's the verse nine. And see, if we don't do this in our walk with the Lord, if we don't abhor what is evil and we don't make great effort to cleave to what is good, 
That's what I said. This is where it becomes an emergency and it's often not a quick thing. It's a slow draw away. You probably had friends that it happened, has happened to. I have. And it's a sad process to watch. We have to cleave to stick like glue to what we know is good, to never let that be taken from us and never let things in that will hurt our walk with the Lord. Verse 11 has three points in it instead of the one we just looked at. So three points in verse 11. And the first one, or let's just read the verse to start. Romans 12, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Do not be slothful in zeal is the first part. And it means do not be tardy, do not be indolent, do not be irksome. I don't know about you, but I do not want to be irksome in my walk with the Lord. It's not a very nice sounding word. Or tardy. Indolent, I didn't even know what it meant, but it's the same idea. Habitually lazy or lethargic. Don't be a lethargic in your zeal in your walk with the Lord. In business, a lot of word studies today, but it means speed or eagerness. That word zeal also means business, um, but it means speed, eagerness, earnestness, care, diligence, and haste. So don't become lethargic in your effort, in your haste, in your, your push, your drive to do what is right and to walk with the Lord. Have you ever felt lazy in your eagerness in serving the Lord? Have you ever felt like you were sitting back a little bit more than you should be? in your walk with God. That's what this verse is talking about. Don't be, don't let yourself sit back, take it easy and, and miss out. You have to not be slothful. Um, the next verse tells us what we have to do, but we tend to get slothful, to get lazy in our walk with the Lord when we lose heart. And we often tend to lose heart on something when it becomes a repetitive thing. That's just something we do over and over and over again. And I was thinking in my life, what are some of those things? What have they been in the past or maybe even now? Working every day, not now, I like my job, but there's been jobs that I've had that going to work is a struggle and I just feel like it's just a thing I have to do over and over and over again. Sometimes parenting is that thing that I have to do over and over and over and again and over and again. And once more over and again, and, and you get the idea. Those of you who are parents, you know, it's a lot of work parenting. New things come up. Sometimes the same old things keep coming up and you keep working through it and working through it. Going to church can feel like that repetitive thing that you just know you're supposed to do. And yet you can feel like you're lazy in doing it. Jake prophesied this morning, that message that we heard. The solution isn't a change all the time. Sometimes, always, it's going to the well, going to Jesus. And then we sang that song, In Christ alone I place my trust. I find my glory in the power of the cross. My source of strength, my source of hope is Christ alone. It is Christ alone that I pursue. These other things I do because they're part of my life and I have to do them and I have to be faithful at them and I've got to carry on. Sometimes though, we view the solution as ending the repetitive thing. If I could just get to something new, I would be better. And sometimes it does. Sometimes it will help. 
But if that is always our solution, then we always require change. If you have to change to be happier, to be more on fire, to not be lazy, then you always have to have change in your life to keep feeding that. Christ has to be the source. And I'm not saying change is bad. Sometimes change is good. Sometimes it's very helpful and necessary. But Christ is still our source. Years ago, when I first went to the Kitchener Church up in Canada and Sarah and I got married, I don't remember all the details, but I remember there was a service that I preached on a Sunday morning. I may have led the service. Sarah's dad may have been away. I cannot remember. But afterwards, when I was done, an older gentleman came up. He'd been in the church for a very long time. And he said, that was so good. That was so refreshing. And his basic thought, I can't remember, but it was either I should preach more often or I should leave the church. I wasn't sure which one it was. And I just, don't try that on me. I stood back and looked at him and just kind of analyzed because anytime somebody tells you to take a spot that's not yours, you need to step back and analyze what their heart is after. I said to him, you know, if I was here in the long term and doing this long term, I would become the normal that you got bored of, <laughs> right? You get, anytime somebody comes, it's different, it's exciting. And then after a while, it's just the normal. And you're like, oh, I know what they're gonna say next. Oh, I've heard that story before. Oh, they always do it this way. But the first time they did it, it was exciting because it was different. Our whole world is geared toward throwing out the old boring stuff and getting something new and exciting. That's the way we are formed. Like I said, it's a short-term fix, but it's not a long-term solution. The solution is in the next verse. The next part of the verse, sorry, next part of verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Be fervent in spirit. Fervent, the word literally means to be hot. And in definition, it says boil for liquids or glow for solids. Boil for liquids. How many of you have boiled something before? A few. Again, not the children, I hope. How many of you have worked with solids and had them glowing? You, you've worked with metal. That's hot. If you've worked with metal that is glowing red, it is hot. You can solder with metal that melts at a lower temperature even 500, 400, 700 degrees, depending on the metal, even up to 1,000 degrees, and it's not necessarily glowing. So you know that metal that's glowing is extremely, extremely hot. And it will burn you instantly. Even the boiling will burn you instantly. If you put your hand in something boiling, it's going to hurt. I'm boiling my maple sap. It's the time of year to make syrup. And I have gotten steam burns out there just from the water that's floating in the air above the boiling liquid. It's hot. So this is saying be hot in your spirits. On fire for the Lord. Spirit, I will just say, is what's inside of you. We know it's what lives forever. It's our eternal being. It's also pointing out not to just be a, a hot Christian on the outside. Don't just look good for other people. It says in your spirits, your inside, who you are. Don't just come to church and put it on. It's got to be who you are. Again, Romans 12 is the marks of a true Christian. Who are we really in our walk with the Lord? How do we 
get hot? How do we become fervent in spirit? Well, the solutions are pretty simple to the problem. You get hot by staying near a heat source. Yesterday I was boiling and I had Zadok up with me for a while and he was helping me out. And it was a, a nice day outside. The barn was still a little cold in the morning. And he came in a few times. He's like, I'm cold, dad. What do you think he did to warm up? He went and stood next to the stovepipe on my arch that's 500 degrees. And he's like, oh, this is so warm. The heat source warmed him up. Well, what is our heat source in our Christian life? It is God and it is the good things of God and it is walking with people who love God. Those are our heat sources. As Jesse said in Sunday school, we're, we're not called to withdraw. We're not called to be by ourselves. We're called to be with others and with God himself. And that is how we, we get hot. Fire also doesn't light itself, usually. It requires something else, some other, some other source to light it. I wish it started itself. It would make my job easier when I'm out there boiling. But I have to put a heat source to the combustibles, the wood, the cardboard, whatever I'm using to start the fire. I've got to put heat to it. I've got to put fire to it, and it will start it on fire. It's impossible for it to start without me doing that. So that's how you get hot. How do you stay hot? You stay near the fire. I said the solution's pretty simple. It's a problem, but it's not a hard solution. Sometimes we make this way more difficult than it really is. Actually, Sarah looked through my sermon and she's like, oh, this is kind of simple stuff I think you've said before. <laughs> it kind of is, but sometimes we need a reminder. The wood outside of my maple arch where I'm boiling is cold. The wood inside is hundreds and hundreds of degrees. You can ask Sarah. She managed it for me a little bit yesterday. If you open the door and stick your face in front of the door for more than five seconds, it will burn you. It is hot inside. The wood that is two feet away and outside is cold. You've got to stay near the heat. You've got to stay near the fire. So you have to stay close to God in your walk with him. Again, this is a thing that can slowly happen. You can slowly become cold. It's a process to become cold. Don't let it happen. The Bible says be fervent in spirit. And this is again a command. You be hot in your spirit. You stay close to God. If church feels cold, if your devotions feel cold. If your spirit feels cold, your fire is not being tended properly. The problem is within, not without. There's been some people in some pretty tough places that were on fire for God. And there's been some people in some amazing places who were not on fire for God. The problem is within. And the first place to start for you and for me, if we don't feel fervent in our walk with the Lord, is to look in the mirror not to look at who or what to blame, but is to say, Lord, I am not on fire for you right now. I want to be on fire for you. And then we've got to draw close to the Lord. We've got to. The third part of Romans chapter 12 and verse 11 says, serve 
the Lord. Serve the Lord. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. You've probably heard before that word serve means to be a slave of, either voluntarily or involuntarily. Well, we serve the Lord voluntarily, usually. He doesn't force people to do it involuntarily. But we're supposed to view it as our position, our, our, our life, thing that we do. We live to serve him. What is the best thing to do if we've become lazy in our eagerness and diligence or cold in our passion? The Bible tells us, serve the Lord. Make life about God. Make everything you do about serving him. See, anytime our focus stays in ourselves, our own lives, our own needs, the reasons that those are not being met, our own wants, etc. You hear the, the, the carrying theme here? Our, me, my. We will almost always end up in one of two problems. Either pride, because we're really lifted up in ourselves, or depression, because we're really down on ourselves. That happens when we focus on ourselves too much. And the Bible tells us, when you're walking with the Lord, one of the ways you avoid a major catastrophe and you, be, you stay on fire for the Lord is you serve the Lord. Serve means you are reaching outside of yourself to live for God. We're not supposed to be entirely self-focused. There's a line from the Cars movie, which my kids will appreciate, where the main, one of the main characters, his name is Doc Hudson, he asks the main character of the movie, who's a young kid who, who uh, learned a lot of life lessons in that movie, he said, when was the last time you cared about something but yourself? You name me one time. And he couldn't. He had that bam moment, that realization, you know what? I've really only cared about myself so far. And he was not a happy character in the movie. He thought he had it all great and everything looked like life was going great for him. He wasn't happy. Not at all. I looked up that line to try to find out exactly what it said in the movie. And uh, Google told me the first search results when I looked up that, that line, when was the last time you cared about something but yourself? The first websites that came up were, when was the last time you took care of yourself? When was the last time you treated yourself? When was the last time you wowed yourself? Why we put ourselves last and why self-care should be a priority. This is what the world tells us to that thought. The Bible tells us, serve the Lord. To be fervent and not become self-focused, to not become proud and depressed, we have to reach outside of ourselves. The world will tell you, take care of yourself. Focus on yourself. Serve yourself. That is a worldview that we are surrounded by here in our culture. And we're made to feel weird and odd if that is not our focus. But I'll say it before and I'll say it again. If that is our focus, we end up in either pride or depression and it doesn't make us better. And that is why I think this is a continual conversation. It's a topic that keeps coming up. When you start talking about how to take care of yourself, you have to keep driving it because the ones who are taking care of themselves aren't really feeling any better. They're not growing because they're, they're not reaching outside of themselves. They're entirely self-focused. Jesus, you think of his life here on earth. Did he live for himself? He lived for God and he lived for others. Sometimes that meant 
You know, I'm sure he wasn't walking around like a dirty mess, but he was a busy guy. He hardly had time to sleep, but he poured out his life to others. Was he fulfilled in doing what he did? Absolutely. But we wouldn't look at him and go, well, there's a, there, you know, he's, he's focusing on himself. Not at all. And he is our example. So the greatest weapon we have to fight against pride or depression is to focus on God and to focus on other people. And that's how we stay on fire, how we be fervent and not lazy in our relationship with the Lord in our life. We have to realize, yes, we have value. We have great value. You have great value. God made you. God loves you. God cares about you more than anything, which is amazing. But we have to realize that that value only comes from God. He is the one who gives us our value, our worth, and we're supposed to use that for God and for others. You've heard the saying before, it's better to give than to receive. How many of you have heard that? We, we tell it to our kids all the time. <laughs> we all like to get stuff. But it is, it's better to give because it does something in us when we are giving out. It's joyful to get something, but it doesn't really often work something in us. Giving works in us. And it benefits us far more than taking in. But if we're living our Christian life passively, thinking and focusing on ourselves, our life, or how we're not being fed, or how our needs are not being met, or how things need to change to make us happy and content to help us be on fire, we've become a receiver. We've not become a giver. We've become self-focused. So again, Romans 9, verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. So this is the 911 of Romans chapter 12. We've got to abhor what is evil and cleave like glue to what is good. And we've got to not get lazy in our walk with the Lord. We have to be hot in our inside, in our spirit, and we have to serve the Lord and the people he has put around from, around us. And that will help us to stay on fire. So, we'll close. But let's take this to the Lord, okay? For me and for you guys sitting here. If you have found yourself struggling in any of these areas, you don't feel like you're on fire for God. You feel like you're walking your Christian life passively. You don't feel like you're serving him or others, or you feel like you're being drawn toward evil instead of cleaving to what is good. If you've fallen and you can't get up, it's time to dial heaven's 911. Let's take this to God, okay? Take a minute, just you and the Lord, and you talk to him about it and make it right, and then we'll close in prayer. Lord, you know that our human hearts, you've made us, you're our creator, you know us. You know that our human hearts are easily drawn toward evil. And Lord, you also know that the nature of fire is to go out and it takes work to keep it going. Lord, I pray that you would help us to cleave to what is good, to be glued to it, 
And, and if we're not entirely, if we don't find evil detesting, detestable, if we don't find the, the horrible things that are against you, that are against your word, if we're not, for lack of a better word, disgusted by those things, Lord, help us to realize how much those things are against your very nature and help us to stick like glue to your word and to what is good and what we know is right. Lord, I pray also, as I said, the nature of fire is to go out. Help us to be fervent in our spirits. Help us to be hot on our insides, Lord, on who we are as a Christian. Help us to be real and really on fire for you. And help us to serve you with all of our heart, to realize that this life is all about living for you and reaching out to others. Set us on fire, Lord, we pray in your name. Amen.